following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, March 6, 2022, on the basis of verses from 1 Samuel chapter 17. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It's one of those references that has so permeated our societal consciousness that it doesn't really need explanation. Everyone just knows what it means. It would sort of be like if you referred to someone as a prodigal son or as a good Samaritan. You wouldn't really need to explain yourself. Everyone just knows what that means. Or even from outside the Bible, if you referred to something as a Cinderella story. If you said that someone had put forth a Herculean effort, if you referred to a young man and a young woman as Romeo and Juliet, you wouldn't need to explain yourself. Everyone just knows what that means. Well, it works exactly the same way anytime you would describe a matchup between two opponents as David versus Goliath. It needs no explanation. It means that one is small, but the other is large. One is weak, but the other is strong. One is the underdog, the other is the heavy favorite. In fact, we've heard that expression quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, being used to describe the war that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. David versus Goliath. But what if one of those references that has become so very familiar to people is actually understood in a way that is in correct. Very often the story of David and Goliath is used to speak to the Davids of the world, to speak to people who seem small or weak, to speak to the underdogs, and it's used to give them motivation, to fill them up with courage, to say to them that they too can go out onto the field of battle and defeat whatever giant they might be facing. In other words, the story of David and Goliath is used for inspiration and imitation. Take a look at David. You could be like David. And I'm sure that very often that can work. In fact, I have no doubt that for a large number of people, including many Christians, they have gained courage to conquer whatever giants they might be facing by looking at the story of David and Goliath. But I also know that that doesn't always work. And I know that it's not going to work for our purposes this morning. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, and the worship theme for us for Lent is open door policies. Over and over again, we will be asking the question, how does God, our merciful Father in heaven, get his wayward and rebellious children not just to return to him, but actually to want to, to long to return home? We might describe it this way. Picture a child that enters the military, a child that goes off to the field of battle. They might go with a story like this in their minds, full of all kinds of courage, but what happens when that courage is replaced by cowardice? What happens when instead of loyalty and bravery, they show betrayal? What happens when instead of all kinds of triumphant victories, they instead suffer all kinds of humiliating defeats? And now it's time for them to go back home, knowing that their record on the field of battle is going to come with them. 
if the only thing that this story is good for is inspiration and imitation, then it does them no good anymore. Thankfully, that's not what this story is all about. I know that's how this story is most often used, but it's actually not how this story is used here. In fact, it's not used that way at all. As we look at the original David versus Goliath story recorded for us in 1 Samuel 17 this morning, we're going to actually see that this David versus Goliath story is not a David versus Goliath story. In the way that that story is normally used, one thing is always the case. The giant, whatever giant someone might be facing, has to be beatable. The giant might look big and might look scary, but at the end of the day, the giant has to be beatable. Otherwise, all the courage in the world still isn't going to do a person any good. Actually, back in 2013, the best-selling author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell sort of took this a step further. Malcolm Gladwell is not a Christian, but he wrote a book that's entitled David and Goliath. And in the very first part of that book, he tried to make the point that the advantages that Goliath seemed to have weren't really advantages, and the disadvantages that David seemed to have weren't really disadvantages. Malcolm Gladwell paints a picture uh, of Goliath as this comically oversized and clumsy giant, someone who can barely move and probably can barely see. He paints a picture of David being this nimble, stealthy warrior who runs circles around Goliath. And not only that, in his sling and his stone, he is carrying the equivalent of a modern 45 caliber pistol. It seems that Malcolm Gladwell wants us to picture Goliath as sort of one of those slow-witted cartoon giants. Oh, me, Goliath, me kill you now. And not only that, but a giant who evidently has showed up for a gunfight with only a knife. Malcolm Gladwell's whole point is that David is actually the one that has the advantage, even though it doesn't seem like it. Well, sorry, Malcolm Gladwell, you're a very smart guy and a very good writer. I enjoy reading your books, but you are absolutely wrong about this story. At least if we are going to take the biblical account seriously. Yes, Goliath is described as this massive human being. He is also described as a warrior from his youth. He is described as the champion of the Philistines, and the Philistines are perfectly happy to let him be their champion. When he goes out onto the field of battle all by himself and says, who's ready to fight me? The Philistines don't pull him back and say, you clumsy idiot, you're going to ruin it for everybody. In the very same way, when Goliath goes out there, the Israelites don't mock him. They don't laugh at him. They tremble in fear. They fall to the ground in terror. And then finally, notice the behavior of David. Yes, David goes out onto the field of battle courageously, but it's not because of the weapon that he brings. He doesn't say to his fellow Israelites, look, I know he looks scary, but I've got a gun. He says nothing of the kind. It sure is tempting to make the giants that we face in life beatable. But Goliath doesn't think that. The Philistines don't think that. The Israelites don't think that. And David doesn't think that. They all know that this giant can't be beat. So sure, this story can serve for inspiration and imitation, but only against the giants in life that are beatable. And sure, we all face some of those. The problem is we also all face, in the devil, 
a giant who can't be beat. I recently came across a, an estimate that suggested that from the very beginning of the history of the world, approximately 17 billion people have lived on planet Earth. I have no idea whether that estimate is correct or not. I do know that since the dawn of time, the devil has been fighting against each and every one of them, and to date, he is undefeated. We might go out onto the field of battle against the devil with all the courage in the world, courage that a story like this might provide, but again, what happens when instead of courage we show cowardice? How often have we let our desire to fit in cause us to do something that we know is wrong? How often have we allowed peer pressure to force us to keep quiet about something even when we know the right thing that needed to be said? We might head out onto the field of battle wanting to be as loyal and as brave for our God and for his people as we possibly can, but what happens when instead of that bravery and loyalty, there is nothing but betrayal? What happens when over and over again we go AWOL, when we actually cross enemy lines, when we adopt schedules and calendars and budgets and priorities that are really no different from the people of this world? What happens when maybe unwittingly we actually betray our own loved ones and our own children? We just hand them over unarmed to the wisdom of this world and to the priorities of this world instead of doing the very difficult and painstaking work of teaching them to seek the things of God and arming them with the truth of God. And for that matter, what happens when even when it seems like we win, we've merely won the battle only to lose the war? Maybe there was a time where we sweat and we sacrificed for God. Victory, right? Well, but right after that, that fills us with pride and self-righteousness. Defeat. What happens when the latest controversial issue comes up and we adopt the position that we know is right, we know it's good, we even know it's godly. Victory! But that position causes us to get angry and irritated with people who hold the opposite one. Defeat. Using this story for inspiration and imitation works just fine as long as the giant is beatable. Problem is, this one wasn't. Problem is, each and every one of us face one that isn't. And so it's a good thing that this isn't what that story is about. It's not a story that is meant primarily to encourage you to rush out onto the field of battle with the courage of David to conquer all of your giants. How do I know? Well, first of all, the writer tells us. That word that is used to describe Goliath, that word champion, literally means the between guy the middle man. In ancient times, it was very common for something called single combat warfare to occur, for one soldier to represent the entire army, for him to fight against a soldier from the other army, and for the results of that one-on-one -on -one battle to count for everybody. The writer tells us that. Goliath says exactly the same thing. That's his challenge to the Israelites. That's why he mocks them. He says, I'm standing before you as the Philistine, the one and only Philistine, but you're lined up against me as if all of you are going to come out into battle against me. Where is your champion? 
Pick one, send him out, the two of us will fight. If I win, all of you will become our servants. If he wins, all of us will become your servants. And then finally, David says the exact same thing too. That's why he is so angry at Goliath. That's why he is so angry with his fellow Israelites. Goliath's insinuation is that Israel does not have a champion. David knows that not to be the case. David also knows that it's not him. He knows that it's someone else. He rushes out onto the field of battle, all full of courage, not because he's packing heat. Listen to what David says. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. That giant, that unbeatable giant, didn't need to be fought by every single rank-and-file soldier in the army of Israel. He just needed to be fought by one. And that one wasn't even David. As David said, the battle belongs to the Lord. See, this isn't a story about inspiration or imitation. It's a story about substitution. It's a battle that was won by just one. One stands up to fight while everyone else sits. And in fact, by the time the rest of the Israelite army actually gets up to do something, the enemy has no fight left, and the spoils of victory are just there for the taking. Maybe that's not the story of David and Goliath that you're familiar with, but that is certainly the story that you and I need. Not one where we try and put ourselves in the shoes of David to muster up all of the courage to conquer our giants, but one where we put ourselves in the shoes of those rank-and-file soldiers of Israel. Soldiers who correctly understood that they were going up against a giant who was unbeatable. But soldiers who should have known that they were going up against a giant that they didn't have to beat. The battle belonged to the Lord. And it still does. Fast forward a thousand years and almost this exact same thing happens again. This time, that unbeatable giant, the devil, has absolutely no doubt or no confusion about who Israel's champion is. God the Father himself had made that perfectly clear at Jesus' baptism. Jesus was our champion. Jesus was the between guy. And so for 40 days, once again, this unbeatable giant threw out his most taunting and threatening, mocking insults toward Jesus that he possibly could. If you really are the Son of God, do this, do that. Once again, the battle belonged to the Lord. Jesus fought vicariously. He fought as one of us and for all of us. And Jesus fought victoriously. When Jesus was done with the devil, the devil's record was now 117 billion and one. 
and that one L that the devil took out there in the wilderness counts as a W for us all. And I think that you would agree that that makes this story not less valuable, but infinitely more valuable for us. Again, if it's just a story of imitation and inspiration, we can head out onto the field of battle with all the courage in the world, but so often that courage has turned to cowardice. Bravery has turned to betrayal. For all the times that we've gone AWOL and crossed enemy lines and now hold in our hands nothing but our rightly deserved dishonorable discharge papers, what happens when it's time now to go back home? The shame and disgrace from our record on the field of battle would cause us not to want to go within a thousand miles of our Heavenly Father or the place that we call home. Thankfully, this is a story not about imitation and inspiration, but instead about substitution. It's about exactly what you heard the writer to the Hebrews tell us. He said, we have a high priest. We have a between guy. We have a champion named Jesus who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Jesus had a perfect record on the field of battle, and that perfect record is now our perfect record. All of his awards and all of his medals, all of the, the bars and the pins that are on his best dress uniform, all of the letters of commendation that he's received from his commanding officers, and yes, all of the spoils of victory that he has won now belong to us. That's the David versus Goliath story. A story that even more than sending us off to the field of battle with all kinds of courage allows us to come back home to our Heavenly Father with absolute confidence. Amen.